The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. We come here not only to be encouraged ourselves, but through ourselves to encourage others in our faith and to help us walk the walk of Jesus day by day. We come to have conversations, we come to have tea and coffee, and all of that is about what we consider to be church. But is that all that church is about? In short, in this series, we just want to look at a few things, some of them like, what does the Bible say about church? What is the purpose of the church? What are the conditions of entrance to the church, and by that I don't mean do we have double doors at the front and stained glass windows, but what does it take for us to be members of the church? What are the ordinances, that is the established rites or ceremonies of the church, and what are some of the figures that the Bible looks at and refers to when it's talking about the church? Now, some of you, of course, will be thinking like, well, I had no idea that that's what the church was about or, or anything, and that's fine, because hopefully as we go through this, you will come to some more understanding. Because at the end of it, I don't want us just to, to know about the church, but we want to understand church and we want to come to church knowing that we are going to be meeting God and that God is going to be meeting with us and knowing that God has a purpose for his church and therefore we want to be involved with that purpose. So we ask the question, what is the church? What is the church? And there is a definition that I have. And because this is a theological subject, this is a definition. It's not necessarily the definition, but it is a definition. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. And that definition obviously can be broken down. The church is a community of true believers for all time. And so hopefully this morning we'll be able to unpack that. Probably that's all we will get through, but at least we'll be able to unpack that. So firstly, the church is the community. The church is a community. And if we look into the Bible, and if we know a little bit about uh, theology, we'll know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a trinity. So we see the very nature, the very character of God is not individuality, but it is community. Father, Son, and Spirit dwell together in unity. They don't argue. They don't fight. They're not looking for greater position. They are together, and they are one, and they are in unity. There is a community in the very heart of God. And that's what we see in the church. And when we talk about the church, usually we're thinking of the birth of the church being the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out 
upon the apostles, and there they were speaking in tongues, and people were confused, what's going on here? And Peter stands up and says, listen, these men aren't drunk as some of you think they are, but this is what God is doing, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit, and then Peter proclaims this message of salvation, at which the end of it, people are saying, how can we be saved? And he leads them into the way of salvation, and on that day, some 3,000 people were added to the already numbers that were there. And the numbers that were there, as indicated in Acts, were probably about 150 people. So suddenly you've gone from 150 people to 3,000, over 3,000 in one day. And that's what we see as the birth of the church and what we imagine as the beginning of the church. But in fact, if we look back in the Old Testament, we already see a community of people in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word used for church is kahel. And kahel means to call or to assemble. It is used not only for the actual act of calling people. I'm calling, hey, can you come down from the back? That's calling people. It's calling them out. But it's then a gathering of those who have been called. So it's like God is calling a people, and those people called all come together and they become an assembly. And in the Old Testament, that is kahel. That is the Hebrew word used for that. For instance, in Numbers 14, verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the kahil, the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Because they fell together. They were there together. Again, in Deuteronomy, it says that when the Lord your God was at Horeb, he said to me, Kahail, gather together, assemble the people before me to hear my words. So in the Old Testament, we see that Israel, if you like, was seen as what we would describe as the church, the community, an assembly of the called out ones, in that Israel was a nation that had been called together by God to be a holy people before all the other nations of the world, a people who were belonging to God. So in the Old Testament, we see there is an assembly, there is a church in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, when we look at the word church, we find the word ecclesia. In Greek, it is ecclesia. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus speaking to Peter, and he said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, ecclesia comes from two Greek words, to call out from. We can see that in the Old Testament, to call out and to call from. Uh, we can see that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the church is the community of those who have been called out. Those who have been called out of the world. And that's what we understand primarily the church to be those who have come out of the world. Often when people get saved or when people are being told about a salvation, people sometimes start to say, well, what have I got to give up? I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. And they're talking about things that they're losing. They don't understand they are gaining a kingdom. They're coming into something new. They're coming into the forgiveness of God for the ways that they were walking in. They're coming into the purposes of God. They're coming into eternal salvation. 
But sometimes people feel they're leaving things behind. But what is actually happening is God is calling them out. I have taken you out of darkness to bring you into the kingdom of my son. We don't often think of ourselves as, well, was I called out? Did I come out? But when we go into our Christian faith, we recognize that things have started to change in our lives. And we start to realize, I've left things behind that I formerly used to do. The ways that I walk in, now I'm no longer walking in these ways. Some people talk of the fact that, that they were drinking a lot. Some people talk of the fact that they were smoking a lot. Some people talking about the fact they were taking substances. Some people just talk about the fact that actually, I used to swear a lot, but now I've given up those things. Why? Because God doesn't want us to walk in those ways. And it's not that God doesn't want us to have fun. God, it's not about fun. God wants us to have life. He wants us to have life rather than death. And the ways of the flesh lead us into a life of death, whereas the things of God lead us into life itself. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking for life. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for my life to count for something. I'm looking to have a life where I'm not bowed down with the weight of despondency, with the weight of, of guilt, with the weight of fear that can come upon my life because of the ways that I've been walking in. But I'm looking for a life that brings love, that brings peace, that brings joy, that brings patience, that brings kindness into me and flows from me. I am looking for the life that only God himself can bring. I have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And the words for church, and what we're understanding the church, the community of believers to be, is those who have come out of something, have come out of the world, and are now living for the things of God. That is what we are, and that is what we're supposed to be, a people who have been called out. So when we talk of the church... We are talking of a community, a gathering of people who have been called out, called out of the world, had a special, if you like, invitation from God, come and be with me, come and walk in my ways. That is what the church is. The church is the community of all true believers for all time, true believers, those who are truly saved. The definition, as I said, describes the fact that it's not just a community, but it's made up of a community. The real church is made up of a community of those that have believed in God and are trusting in God and are walking in God's ways. Now, for us, this side of the cross, it is that we're trusting alone in the salvation that Jesus Christ himself can give. Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. He gave himself up, he went to the cross to redeem people out of the world and to bring them into the church. And therefore we see that Christ died for believers, for those who would trust in him. A true believer if we were to look at another thing in Scripture, would be one who has their name written in the Lamb's book of life. If you used to read the book of Revelation, you read about books, and there are books in heaven that have records. 
And when we become a Christian, when we give our lives to Christ and we walk in his ways, because it's not just a case of us saying like, oh, Jesus, I believe in you. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Forgive us for my sins. Right, okay, now let me get on with the life I wanted to live. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is teaching that we're calling people out of the bondage of a system that is holding them locked to the ways of Satan. That is holding them locked in selfishness. Now when we go out of here and go into the high street, and if we were to interview what we would find people who don't go to church, who are not part of the church, who don't know God, do we find people who are horrid and nasty? No, not every one of them. We find people who have the attributes of God about their lives. We find people sometimes who have greater attributes in some areas than we might possess in the church. And so it's not that we're just like, well, there's good people out there. Of course there's good people out there. But there is a major difference. They haven't found salvation through Jesus Christ. Their sins are not forgiven. And so it's not that you can look at somebody and they look different, or you can even experience things about their character that you think, well, those are really good. I like those attributes of their character. But it's the issue of the sin that they have committed, the rebellion that they have against God, which is unforgiven. And it's not until we come before God and we say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have done wrong before you. I need you to forgive me. I'm believing in the death of your son Jesus for my sin. Now when we put our faith in Christ like that and say now I am giving you my life, I am going to walk in your ways, that's how we enter into true faith, true belief. And we need to walk in that as time goes on. And I say it like that because all of us will have had the experience maybe of saying a prayer of commitment to God, maybe even some time ago, but you notice that God does changes little by little by little by little by little lightly. And so you are changed, and yet you are also being changed. Until you get to a point where you will be changed. Changed into his likeness. Because sometimes, in fact, if we were to have a, a sort of a, a stop right now and examine our lives, we think like, well, I'm not quite up to the standards of Jesus. That's because we are being changed. But having said that, I'm also quite changed from where I began. I did used to have a situation where I had a filthy mouth or I did different things that I shouldn't have done. And now those are dropping away from my life. My life is changing, but I am growing. I'm in the place of growing. I'm in the place of developing into what God wants me to be. There is a process of change. I am saved. But a true believer is one who has started and is walking in that way. And as we do that, the books in heaven, hey, they note down the names. This is so precious to think that we can have our name recorded in a book. Because there will come a day when those books are opened. And when it comes for us to enter into heaven, it is the requirement to have your name written in the book of life. True believers' names are written in the book of life. Let me just ask a question here this morning. Whoever you are, whatever your background, do you know that your name has been written in the book of life? And it is a serious issue because without being written in the book of life, you have no confidence about going to heaven. 
It's not that I'm saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying you're a sinner like I was a sinner. Like I still sin. But I have one who has come before me and who is a perfect sacrifice and has taken my sin upon himself so that I am set free. Do I deserve it? Of course I don't deserve it. It's not about what I deserve. It's about what I'm trusting in. And the good news is, this is not just for me. It is for everyone. So we're not just saying like, oh, let's have all the special people put their name in the book. Let's have all the rich people. You got a university education. Well, your name needs to go in the book. Oh, you didn't have a university education. No, 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 it's not about that. It's about, are we believing in Jesus? Are we trusting in him? Are we true believers? Listen, today is a day of salvation. That means today, God has his pen ready to write your name in the book. He's ready. The question is, do you want your name written in the book of life? Or do you prefer to have your name written in the book that will lead to death. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. True believers, true believers are those who have their names written in the book of life. A definition that we're looking at is this, is that the church is a community. Those who have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of light, who have their names written in the book of life because they are true believers. And we're not just saying for just now. We're looking at all believers for all time. Now, I know this is a bit difficult to get hold of. And how can I put this? I used to find this more difficult to get hold of, to think that God was thinking and saving everybody right from the beginning of time till now. Why do I say that? Because of the issue of the cross. Because you see, we tend to think of this Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament believers. But you see, when you start to read your Bible and you start to read the Old Testament and never be afraid of reading the Old Testament because there you have a lot of understanding about the wisdom of God and how he deals with people, I find people in the Old Testament who are living better lives than I am right now. And so I'm sure these people know their God. In fact, someone like Daniel, it even says in Daniel, the people who know their God will do great exploits. And we see of him, he was a man who led a nation and who brought transformation to the leaders of a nation, the darkest nation of his time. He influenced their lives. This was a man who knew God and knew how to bring the purposes of God down to earth. So we see in the Old Testament people who, we can't say, well, they're believing in Jesus. They were looking for salvation from God. That's how they could see it, because Jesus hadn't come. But Moses was trusting God for salvation. David was trusting God for salvation. Joseph was trusting God for salvation. We see in Joseph, here's a young man who in Potiphar's house, he's, he's been sold into slavery by his brothers. And as a slave, he goes to work for an important official called Potiphar. And Potiphar finds this young man who is a slave to be pretty good. In fact, so good, I'm going to put him in charge of my house. And so this young man, and we have a young man, let's say he's only 18 years old. 
He's looking after the whole household. He's managing the affairs of the house. As Potiphar is doing his work, his house is being looked after. But Potiphar's wife fancies this guy. He's a well-built, he's a good-looking young man. She, as in the days that we live in, she decides, I want pleasure for myself. I want to sleep with him. What's wrong with that? The sort of thing happens today. Take what you want. doesn't hurt anybody. That's what people say. But when we sin sexually, we sin against our own bodies. We defile our own bodies. We just think we're gaining pleasure for ourselves. We don't understand that we're affecting our own bodies. But in this case, what do we find with Joseph? When Joseph found out that this woman was after him, he said this, how can I sin against God? And he ran away. He ran away. You see, you're finding people in the Old Testament who had moral values, who had transformed lives, and who were living for the purposes of God in a way that we don't always find in our own generation. These are true believers for all time. And we know it's for all time because when we go to Hebrews, Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, referring to the people that have been listed in Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, we read of believers like Abel, of Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Gideon, Samuel, David, and the like. All of the characters, or many of the characters of the Old Testament, not everyone, because not all of them serve the purposes of God. We could stop and have a look at King Saul who was a guy who was struggling to keep up. I'm going to try and do the things of God. But actually, when it came to it, he didn't do what God instructed him to do. And God took the presence of his spirit from him. Listen, our definition. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. That is what the church is. How much time have we got? Let me just do this. Can church be done alone? And I just ask that at this point because so often we're talking about community a lot here and here we are all gathered together. But you know what you'll find when you talk to people about Christianity, there are some people who say, like, oh, I don't like the church. I, I, I do my own church. I'm all right on my own. Have you ever found people like that? Now often there is a reason for that. And regretfully it's because in the church there are not perfect people. The church was never a gathering of perfect people. It's a gathering of sinful people being made perfect or being perfected. And we're on that journey. So I don't know how new you are on the journey. Actually, some of us have been in the journey for a long while, but we still know, yeah, there's a lot of perfecting that still needs to be done. So the church isn't perfect, but it's a people who are seeking to be changed by the presence and power of God. And sometimes people in church, they can hurt, they can offend, they can let people down. And sadly, that often leaves woundedness where people feel like, well, I've got to get out of here. I've got to leave that church. Those people don't like me. Like, they can be offended. Sometimes people don't like it when they're being asked to do something. Oh, look, we don't do that, so can you just keep quiet at the moment? I want to do what I want to do. Because there's selfishness, there's arrogance, there's all sorts of problems that we can have in our own lives. And sometimes those things can come up and cause people problems. And they say, right, okay, I'm leaving this church. In fact, I'm doing church on my own. Folks, you can't do church on your own. 
Church is the community. It's the community of true believers of all time. It's a community of people. It is impossible to do church on your own. And the reason I say it's impossible, I've thought of these things. In church, we need his presence. And when I'm talking about his presence, we need the presence of God. And what does God say? Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. God is quite interesting in the fact that he actually says, listen, it's when there's community that I'm going to turn up. Now, I'm not saying he won't meet you when you're having your private time alone. But there's something about church when he wants to meet with his people. When the gathering together of the community of people come, his presence is there. When two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. And also, doing church alone means you don't have others. And we need others to help strengthen us. We need others to help strengthen us. In Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, the scripture reads like this. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So what is that saying? It's saying like, well, one can stand and there's some strength in an individual. But you know what? When you get two, there's a greater strength. When you get three, there's an even greater strength. That's what it's saying. You multiply strength. There's something about having people with you. The truth is, so often in church, we say, oh, I don't need them. I don't need them. I'll pick out the ones that I like. But you see, God has a wisdom that is greater than our wisdom. And he says, I know you don't like that, but you see, I know the gifts I have given them. And those gifts can be useful for you and for the building up of the people of God, for the community. They're good for the community. And so God wants us to come together because together we share strength. Together, we are more as a number of people than just as individuals. There's, there's greater impact in what we can do. Thirdly, in this point, others see things that we can't. When we remain alone, we can't really see, well, I know that I've got a bit of a temper. I know I get a bit frustrated. You know, something like that. You may know a little about yourself, but others can see when it's coming up. And I know that it takes relationship. So it's not just like, okay, we're going to go around now. Now, I, I can see you. And we start pointing out the things to each other. It's in relationship with people that we're doing life with that we can actually have people speak into our lives and to encourage and strengthen us, to show us what is right. Listen, that attitude is wrong. You need to change that. Let me stand with you. You know that you've got good people when they not only point things out, but they are with you during the time of change. That's true community. Family is a difficult example to use, but really in a functioning family. Because these days, the family unit is under so much pressure. But in a family, there are arguments. Quite often, disagreements. Words said across the meal table. Will you please sit on your chair? Please put your elbows off the table. Will you eat with a knife and fork? And all of these sorts of things can happen. I believe in some households with some children. Of course, only one or two. But we've heard this is family. Family life is energetic. Words are thrown around because there's a security in being together that enables conversations and authority to be exercised by mum and dad. It happens in a family. That's family. The church is the family of God. Hello? Hello, so we are able 
to have disagreements and to work things through because that happens in families. Now, just like in families, sometimes it's best not to go to sleep with your anger, but to get things sorted out. And sometimes we do. We have to come up to people and say, I'm sorry, I offended you. You have to be straight with people. have to clear the ground. Do you remember that awkward situation? Well, I'm terribly sorry about that. And okay, it's, it's late to rest. Now let's move on. Families do those things. The church is a community. But that doesn't happen when you stay in isolation. When you stay in isolation, you remove yourself from the ability to have others see things that can be of benefit to you, to help you. Guys, do you want to come back up to the stage here? So we need a community of people, and we need to be walking with them. And just fourthly on this point, wow, this is just why do people seek to do church alone? Uh, the truth is, when we have been hurt, we want to protect ourselves. You know, that, you, you do that if you're out gardening and you grab hold of a rose and you get a rose thorn and you oh, I will put the gardening gloves on. You do something to protect yourself. But in life, people say things and we get hurt. And so we want to protect ourselves. So we withdraw. Because it, I'm going to withdraw so that that won't happen to me again. I'm going to protect myself from that. And that's often what happens with people. They, they have been hurt, so they want to get out of the church and preserve. They, they act with self-preservation. It's the, the flight scenario. Rather than be hurt again, I want to run away. And it's quite understandable, and I understand why that would happen, but that's not what God wants. Because every one of us needs love. Every one of us needs encouragement. Every one of us needs friends around us. Every one of us needs support. Even when we're walking in ways that God doesn't like, God wants to send people alongside us to draw us out of those ways and to give us encouragement to walk with Him. It happens in community. And we need community. God wants community. In Genesis 2 verse 18, it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And I know that some of us taking hold of, well, that's why I need a wife or I need a husband. It's not good for me to be alone. And that's true. But God is recognizing individuals are left on their own can get up to all sorts of mischief. Let's bring other people alongside them to cut that down. Let's give other people alongside them to help them. And Psalm 68 verse 6 says this, God sets the lonely in families. Listen, I don't know what your situation is. Are you lonely? I'm sorry if you're lonely. And I'm not saying this is a perfect church, but I am saying we are the family of God. And every person has a right to come and join the family. And to feel loved and to feel protected and to feel secure in the family of God's people. I wish we were perfect on that. I wish we were the greatest people at being so hospitable, so loving, so kind. But we're not. Because we're not a perfect people, but we are a people who say that God has changed our lives. Before we walked in darkness, but now he has let his light shine upon us. And whilst we don't understand everything about God or all of his ways or all of the Bible or even all of the... the how, we can't even pronounce the names of the, of the Old Testament. But we know this. That he's faithful and he loves us. And he's called us. And he's chosen us for purpose. And he has drawn us out of that place to make us part of a community 
through which he wants to shine his light. If we go back to the Old Testament and we look at Israel, what do we see of Israel as a nation? I'm not talking about perfection in their ways. I'm talking about they were a people who were established by God that may represent God. The trouble with Israel is they, they wanted too much of their own thing and they mucked up the ways and God had to deal with that. The same pattern of behavior happens with us. But in these days, he has established his church that through the church, through this community of people, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to every principality and every power that is around. So that it is, we're not just a community, a club of people, an assembly of people. We are the people of God. We are the people of God who have come together for the purposes of God, for the encouragement of God, and for the work of God. And that's what we want to, we want to do and want to be. Hallelujah. We don't have any time to go further than that. Let's stand up. Obed's just going to leave us. <laughs>